Please be aware, this episode may contain information not suitable for children. There may be depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language. Parental discretion is advised. I'm Matt. And I'm Lenny. Hello, Lenny. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. <laughs> All right. So we are bringing to you a, I guess, a cold case, a true crime, back to a true crime story here. I don't um, know if I consider this a cold case, though. It, well, it is and it isn't, I think. And I'll tell you why at the end. Okay. If that helps. Yeah. Helps me. Helps you out? Okay. <laughs> yep. So we're going to get into this. It's uh, the Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders. And I'd, actually, this is up north past Tulsa area. And I'd love to get up there and check it out. I think it would be pretty cool if we could if we could go up there and go see the old campgrounds. I think it would be neat. I wish we would have had time to do that beforehand mm-hmm. and posted some of that. Maybe even video footage on our website. But uh, Well, we can always update it later, but let's do a road trip then. Yeah, be cool. Yeah. Then we can go see your uncle up there. Okay. We're going to go invade him. Deal. All right. Uh, and, uh, we'll Uncle make Larry, him... if you listen to this podcast, we're coming soon. Beware. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we're like I said, we're going to talk about the Girl Scout murders. And I'll just go ahead and uh, get, get started into this. So, it was June of 1977, and girls were all lined up to get on the bus for an annual Girl Scout camp in Oklahoma. Going to camp away from parents was like a rite of passage for some a sense of freedom and bonding with old friends and making new ones. Others, going to camp away from their comforts of home was slightly terrifying, yet exciting. So you could think of that, and I know you had went to camp before. You didn't go to Girl Scout camp, right? You went no. to like a church camp? Yeah, I went to and I went to Yeah, and I went to a church camp before. But I remember, you know, when you're going, you're excited and everything, but then, too, you want to impress people. You want to be, you know, maybe fit in and, uh, but you're excited about all this stuff and kind of getting away. But I could see that you know these girls being younger because I was I was in junior high and some of these were a lot younger. I think I was in junior high too, but I remember being terrified because I just didn't know what to expect and I didn't know that many people. I was kind of told you're going and I had to go, so <laughs> I went. It was fun. Not I don't have been petrified, it. but you're going. Yes, yeah. I, yeah, there was no sympathy back It's called Give Mom and Dad a Break. I think so. <laughs> That's what it was really about, right? <laughs> Probably. Probably. It's kind of like when they send you to vacation Bible school. Yeah. Like, it's not a vacation for the kids. I'm, I'm getting rid of you. <laughs> Go. Go to camp. All right. 
So, two months before the girls' arrival to camp, a training session was held out at the camp to just get all of them ready and prepared um, to receive the girls. The training abruptly ended when one of the camp counselors' cabin was ransacked and a note was found in an empty box of donuts. And the note said, We are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. Someone had also created an effigy of a man which had hanged, uh, was hanged from a tree by its neck. And it was also noted that a note, well, that the note also mentioned Martians. So this caused, you know, the camp administrator to dismiss all the preceding events uh, to this. So they had, like, a threat? There was a threat. There was a note um, stating these things. But when they saw, okay, Martians really, like, so they were thinking, okay, who, who's who's pranking? Who's doing this? Which I get, like, if someone had said, but still the seriousness of threatening to kill anybody would have freaked me out enough that I think I would have at least been on alert. And you know what I mean? Like I would. Well, for sure. And I think, and maybe they were, and they just didn't really say that. Maybe they were a little bit more cognizant. But also... You know, I could play Monday morning quarterback and kind of think through, like, what would I have done or what would administrators do today or even even then, you know. Um, I think they kind of did, throughout this, they did some right things in this because some cases even, you know, today you're like, what the heck are they thinking? And I think back at this time period in the 70s, they were doing some things the right way, actually, as we get through this. Um, But... It's, uh, yeah, you'd wonder, like, hey, halt, I mean, we're going to not have the camp this year. Well, we found maybe something. Not even, like, I, would, I don't think I would have stopped the camp because of the mention of Martians. Like, that part, I'm with them on all the way because why ruin the fun over someone just being stupid? But in the fact that they threatened to kill anybody, any kind of harm being done to anyone, I think I would have at least set up, like, patrols around the camp or some extra, some something to, like, just. No, I think that, yeah, you're making me think about that, too. Like, I would have, or could you have got some local police for that first, you know, that night, and then maybe Howard Patrol, just to kind of come out there, check on things, be around. Right, right. For sure. Yeah, but, you know, again, like you said, we're evaluating it all these years later, and you never know what was going through their head at the time. Yeah, and even maybe with the, like, the the different Girl Scout uh, leaders, you know, just informing them and saying this is our precautions, this is what we're going to do. Um, however, you don't want your kids coming, you know, maybe they could have let that message out no, as well. Yeah. So just just thoughts. But, yeah, we can always, again, like I said, Monday morning quarterback this thing. <laughs> so to give you some backstory about the camp, the Girl Scout uh, camp opened in 1928 uh, to girls from 10 to 18 years of age, giving them the opportunity to spend a couple of summer weeks in the beautiful Ozark Hills of Oklahoma. The camp had grown to include 10 campsites, a great hall, and a swimming pool. Situated within 410 acres to the left bank of what they called Snake Creek, each campsite was placed near the main thoroughfare uh, of Cookie Trail. It was called Cookie Trail? Cookie Trail. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in Candyland. That's right. (laughs) That's Girl Scouts. Oh yeah. I'm surprised they didn't name them after each cookie. That's true. Like the campsites? (laughs) See, this is why I'm glad I was never a Girl Scout. I I would not have been able to sell those cookies. I would have eaten them all. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real. So good. <laughs> yeah, so good. So each campsite, instead of being named after a uh, Girl Scout cookie, was given a Native American tribe's name, 
and consisted of canvas tents atop of wooden platforms, roughly set around a stone-encircled campfire, and the girls would find themselves uh, new friends and playmates within their tribe, safely overseen by counselors who would uh, have over their tent. So they had different counselors or set of counselors over a campsite. And there was enough room for four girls to share each tent inside. Each tent would have the did they have four cots. Did they have any adults inside the tents? With they them, did not. Gr- just, the just the girls. The counselors were in their campsite uh, in a different tent. Okay. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it said they shared. They I would assume they probably shared one of the tents. The counselors were in one altogether. To further set the scene of the gruesome murders, we will discuss the tents. Um, and Because they, they weren't evenly spaced out, nor were the campsites placed equally along the cookie trail. Uh, because of this, Kiowa camp happened to be set furthest west and the more isolated away from the trail than the others. And within Kiowa camp, tent 8 was set slightly apart. Its view from the counselor's tent was also obscured uh, by the shower block. So that's the is that the um, that's tent the, that was that was yeah. So I know earlier it said in that note tent one right right and then and now you're talking tent eight tent eight and maybe these tents I would probably think that they said they had the number of the tent number on it somewhere. But it, looking at the map, I was just kind of wondering about that. Just me like at the onset of doing this uh, research. And are we gonna post that map? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll post the pictures of what the tents look like. Okay. But there's a bunch of photos out there. But I was thinking, um, if you looked at tent eight, the way you come up to it, it could look like the first tent. Oh. Maybe. You know? Oh. So, so maybe instead of going to tent one, they just took the first tent on the trail. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. Got it. Okay. So I mean, like I said, the that tents. That would make sense. To the, me. Yeah, and the tents may have had numbers on them or whatever. Maybe they didn't see that, and they just called it tent one if they if the, if the person wrote the note, or they just picked a random tent number. Um, but they just that night when they did decide to kill, if that was the person that murdered them that wrote the note, just went to tent eight. I just think of that. Who else could it be? I mean, it's just too coincidental that someone left a note saying, "I'm going to kill three girls in tent one." Um, and then three it was three girls. It was right? three girls. Three girls died in right. the first tent on yeah, the I mean it might have been tent eight, but it's it's like it's too coincidental. So I can't imagine that the killer didn't write the note. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Does that make sense? Right. So though this campsite seems ideal for exploration and imagination, the dense woods can seem pretty pretty eerie. Uh, so back to the nights that night's events. A little bit on June twelfth, nineteen seventy seven, the bus um, loads of girls. They they enter into uh, Camp Scott, a few miles south of Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Once they arrive, each girl found which campsite they were assigned to. Eighteen year olds Carla Wilhite and Susan Ewing, along with Deb or excuse me, D Elder, who was twenty, were assigned as counselors to Camp Kiowa. So there's three of them uh, that were assigned to Kiowa Camp alone. And amongst their 27 girls, three would be assigned to tent eight. Lori Lee Farmer, Michelle Heather Gus, I think, or Guse or something like that. I'm not sure. And then Doris Denise Milner, or went by Denise. All the girls were either getting to know one another or getting reacquainted. Denise was the only African-American at the camp and a first-time camper. So Carla White wanted her to have a good time and, uh, and a good impression of the camp. 
Who's Carla? Carla. Now, Carla Wilhite was one of the, oh. the camp counselors of the oh, three. Oh, gotcha. uh, Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And she'll have a big role in this, as you'll see kind of through um, through finding the girls and everything. So she wanted to make sure, hey, she's having a good time, she's a good impression of the camp. And she introduced her to her tent mates, Lori and Michelle. And though they didn't know each other, they seemed to bond real quick. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So they were having a good time, I believe, and, and all these girls settling in. You know, the excitement, the flutters, oh, yeah. the nervousness. But just, just all, hey, they they don't have parents overlooking them. They're just in their own tent. Well, and look at their ages. You're eight and nine. Oh, yeah. So, you know, back then, everyone's your friend, too. Like, it, you don't have the kind of drama that middle school starts coming up with in high school. Oh, and that kind for of stuff. sure. Like, like, especially for girls. I know you're not a girl, but. Yeah. But girls, we all love each other when we're young. And then the older we get, the more we catty we get. And it's we're, just. Weird how it happens <laughs> that way, but it does. So at this age, eight, nine, oh, and it was ten. Yeah. Sorry, eight, nine, and ten. These girls are, yay! You're yeah. my new best friend. Right. We're, we're tent buddies. Yeah. 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 I can see the bond happening quick. So yeah, just I mean, you can imagine all the giggling, the storytelling mm-hmm. going on, and the girls situating their belongings as they settled in for the night. And that night, though, seemed darker than uh, usual with thunderstorms booming. Oh, of um, course. Also known. So one girl, uh, her name is Amy Sullivan, recalls writing in her diary the evening, uh, that evening by flashlight. And she put in there, by quote here, it was the darkest dark I had ever known, she said. Though enchanting, it was a little bit scary at the same time for her. I couldn't tell if my eyes were open or shut. Oh, wow. So. How old was that girl? I don't know. I mean, I would. That's kind of deep for an uh, uh, eight, nine, or ten year old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just was slow back then, but. Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't. It wasn't in text language and emojis. <laughs> Shut up. My, I was in the 90s. We didn't have all that either. I know. So. Yeah. Kids will surprise you. Mm. So getting on into the murders uh, for that, the, of this uh, topic here that we're covering, the following morning, three girls from tent eight were found dead. All three girls had been beaten and strangled and left under a tree approximately 100 yards from their tent. Oh my gosh, were they like side by side? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty close, to right, right on top of each other in a way. Uh, the girls were discovered by counselor Car- Carla Wilhite, how I said, you know, she'll play a role in here into this just after 6 a.m. on Monday. But Carla was on her way to take a shower down the trail when she saw the girls' bodies near the base of the tree, uh, or excuse me, of a tree. At first, she did not see Lori and Michelle because they were zipped inside their sleeping bags. What? When Wilhite stumbled upon them, she saw Denise lying on top of her sleeping bag. While confused and horrified by what she had seen, Wilhite turned and ran for help. She returned with a camp director and nurse. Only then did it sink in that she recalls being filled with a terrible fear. What, like at that moment? Oh, at that, that moment, yeah. Them, so like she, she just saw it. Oh, my gosh. Saw Denise on top. Didn't see the other girls, but the other bags were there, I think. Mm-hmm. And then she just took off running. She did the, you know, I think. I would have done the same. I, I mean, I would think. I, w- I don't think I would have touched them or anything. I think I would have ran away, too, and, and tried to find some help. Oh, for sure. And then autopsies revealed that Lori and Michelle were killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Denise had been beaten, but also strangled with a a ligature. And all three girls had been sexually assaulted. Investigators determined the attacks had been taken place inside of the tent and the bodies were moved to the tree. Wow. So it's pretty wild. 
Wow. And we'll kind of get into some of that too, you know. I mean, if you got questions, I mean, no, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I just, it's just, it's, this is horrible. Well, too, I mean, you know, talking about it, it's like, okay, how did they, they got away with killing all three in the same tent, and then were able to get them moved over 100 yards away or so. Yeah. Right? And didn't wake anyone up. It didn't, didn't wake anybody any up. didn't make any noise. Like, this is just nuts to me. So there's a, occurrences here that I'm going to go over, some oh, of the okay. timeline here, of some things that people... Uh, heard per se but you know yeah it's just to me this is like no i i mean yeah you said you're gonna go over it which is good because i i'm just crazy interested in knowing how no one heard anything how how they did get moved did he like why were two girls zipped up inside of their their sleeping bags and one wasn't what was the point of that why would you take take that time was it to move them easier? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I, that just, this is weird. It is. No. So, some of that timeline here, the things that happened, um, at some time before 10 p.m. on 12, on the on June 12th, the counselor of Comanche Camp sees a light in the forest moving north towards Kiowa Camp. So, somebody, so one of the counselors sees a light. Like um, a flashlight? A flashlight, possibly, right? At 10 p.m., the elder makes a tent check of Kiowa and is satisfied that everything is okay. Around midnight, Carla Wilhite headed over to the latrines to escort some noisy girls back to their tents. <laughs> By 1.30 a.m. in tent 6, they're still making noise and, the, and understandably frustrated. Carla Wilhite shines uh, her torch in their direction and shouts at them to stop. It is at that time that she hears a strange sound coming from behind the tents in the documentary Someone cry for the children, which you can catch it on Netflix. Oh, cool. Uh, one can sense that she struggles to find the words to accurately describe it. A low, guttural sound, somewhat like a frog and a bullhorn. When she shines her torch to the direction of the noise, it stops. She heads back to her tent and goes to sleep. The noise is heard intermittently after that. So, could it have been a bullfrog? I mean, if it you, could have been. You know, sometimes if you mm-hmm. shine your light at a, a even when the locusts are, are you know, making oh, it their stops. Noises, like, yeah, it just stops right. when they see light, yeah. you know? So, yeah. I mean, could be. Could be. Around 3 a.m., there are two reports of girls in other camps being woken by noises. One report is of a single scream, maybe, uh, may have been earlier around 1 a.m., and the other is of a girl crying out to her mother. Oh, no, that hurts my heart. Right. Oh my god! And, and I was thinking, like you know, worst. if they heard a girl crying out to her mom, is it the one of the girls that was getting killed, or mm-hmm. is it a girl that's just, you know, all scared, scared upset, at camp and, and it's thunderstorm, it's yeah. dark. So, but still, either way, no matter what, like, is. do you remember when Avery was little uh-huh. and the number when we were still stationed in Alta, she was like what three or four, I think, and the power went out because of a storm and remember her scream that night like I've never forgotten it like I had to run down the hallway to get her to make to make her know she was okay and she was safe remember that yeah oh my gosh still hurts my heart so when I hear about kids screaming for their mom that's what I picture and I hate it I don't like it at all it needs to stop oh for sure (laughs) I don't want to know (laughs) Around the same time, someone is moving through Kiowa camp, reaching into tents and stealing items, notably purses and several pairs of prescription glasses. And then the last story from a surviving witness is from the girls in tent seven. 
who say that their tent flap was pulled back and a man shone a light into the tent. After a few seconds, the flap was replaced and he moved on to tent eight. Oh my gosh. So was he like picking which tent he did? Yeah. Well, what's what's crazy to me too also is Carla Wilhite, right? She's up and around. Where's her two other counselors that are helping? Right? With stuff? That was my next question, to be honest with you. I'm I mean, like, what the heck is going on? Three of them. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. And I would think, too, when they did their training, I was just kind of wondering because it's it's new to somewhat of these girls. And if it isn't new, it still, still can be a little much, right? Especially the younger they are. Right. I was just wondering, like, why wouldn't they kind of think about shifts or doing something different those first few nights? Just kind of the first night for sure. Exactly. Kind Especially of, with a storm, like a storm. thunder and lightning, and these girls are younger. They're not, I mean, they're not little, but, but yeah. they're younger. I mean, they're still scared of things. Even if they want to be brave around their new friends, they're still scared. So yeah. you, your presence alone can um, soothe that. I, I don't know. Like, I would, I would imagine that they would have, they should have probably been patrolling around with, with you know, all night long in shifts. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of funny. Um, not funny that this happened. This is very tragic, but funny, you know, like when I was going over some of the girls, like, you know, giggling and talking throughout the night oh, and having so to find them. It's so, it's so normal. Yeah, the counselors, it's a little chaotic that first night, mm-hmm. you know, and these girls are rambunctious and trying to get them all under control and, and go to sleep. Yelling at them at one thirty in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I could Shut sleep. up! Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, it is one thirty in the morning. Yes, you're at camp, but go to sleep, damn it. It's time to sleep. We have a busy day tomorrow. <laughs> so all the busyness in one way um, could have... You know, this this killer, this murderer could have been found, but then also because of there was so much movement and things going on, it masked and massed some of it. I bet. Yeah, which is horrible. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh. So I'm going to jump back in here to the part about finding the girls here a little bit more detail. Uh, um. Okay. So, like, are you going to give description? Oh, like, not 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 real. Like, should we do like a trigger warning? No, no, like, no, no, If no, you no, don't no. want to hear this stuff, then fast forward. No, not, okay. not real descriptive. Okay. Uh, so with arriving at the body with, uh, Will Height, the nurse, she's there with her. So she checks for a pulse, but it's clear, um, the girl, Denise Milner is dead. She has obvious head injuries and her hands are still tied behind her back. The nurse is soon joined by Richard Day. This is the husband of Barbara Day, the camp director, and who discovers the other two bodies in the sleeping bags. Richard places another sleeping bag over the naked lower half of Denise. And Barbara Day, uh, meanwhile, calls the highway patrol officer, Harold Berry, as the 911's uh, service. They just don't have 911 back then. So she calls the highway. Yeah, no, 911. <laughs> Sorry. 911. 911. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That was good. Can... Good catch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> the other staff of the camp had the actions of rounding up all the girls and their things and getting them back, uh, heading home to Tulsa uh, to their parents to meet them back oh, at so the they buses. Just camp. Oh, they're like, oh, it's yeah. over. Well, well I mean, duh. duh. But yeah, like, it's done. We are done with camp. So, oh, okay, keep going. And then what I said, you know, they did a really good job, of course, all that pandemonium, making sure that they didn't really kind of know what was going on. And they got them all wrangled up in buses and back to Tulsa. Um, without a whole whole bunch of mess, uh, which was good. 
And then the parents of the three slain girls had become at first contentious as they were told that um, they died of an accident. But imagine, but for the Girl Scout camp management, they weren't in, they weren't in a position to tell the parents how they had died as the investigation's going on. But, you know, you can imagine being a parent, you're, what the hell? I send my daughter off to camp one night and they're already dead. I mean, not, right, they should return. Night, like, what were you doing? What was going on? Right. So. I know I would be like, huh? Yeah. What do you mean in an accident? Was there like a canoeing thing? What did you guys do on your first night? Like, yeah. What happened? Right. Yeah, I'd be full of questions. For sure. So the Highway Patrol Officer Harold Berry was the first law enforcement officer at the scene and is adamant that he kept the area around the body clear of interference and the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation had been called in. So some of these things, that the, the actions right now at the beginning and all this stuff, it wasn't anything like, are you kidding me? How can you not find that? Or what were you thinking? Because a lot of these other true crime stories, you know, you point to the police of going, what are you doing? Like, right. Why did that happen? Why did you do that? What were they thinking? Right. Um, but this case is... They seem to be a little bit better on top of it in a way, you know? Great. I mean, that's what you want. You For sure. Have, I mean, you want to be able to say the good things, not mm-hmm. not go what? Yeah. <laughs> so part of this scene here, it was discovered through the investigation that the killer had approached from the rear of tent 8 and then hooked the back flaps uh, to gain entry. Once inside, uh, the murderer bludgeoned to death Lori and Michelle inside the tent, judging by the blood splatter on the canvas walls and the wooden floor. They were both sexually assaulted as well. Uh, the murderer tried to clean up the blood with bed sheets. One boot print was found, but no fingerprints were identified. As for Denise Milner, she had been bound um, and her mouth stuffed with a pre-made gag before being walked over to the area where the bodies were eventually found. She was sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and strangled to death. So she wasn't killed inside the tent? She wasn't assaulted in the tent then? She was walked over to the tree and then assaulted and killed by the tree outside? Mm -hmm. What sense does that make? I know. I don't know. Oh my god. Well, and two... just more messed up than I thought. And for some reason, the killer felt the need to mop up the blood from the tent floor. Um, And then also, was there more boot prints or fingerprints to hide? There, people had speculated another question is why did they move their bo- two bodies almost 100 yards uh, where Denise was laying? And was this a statement like, hey, I did this under your nose and, and you didn't catch me? Well, that's what I was going to kind of say. Like, okay, so he killed the first two girls in the tent um, and assaulted them and everything and obviously tied up Denise and gagged her so that she couldn't make any And maybe she and, woke up. Maybe she saw was, all of it. Saw that is, part horrible i'm so sorry sweet girl but oh my gosh then to to drag those bodies out you know and he probably now that you've said like this description like he probably zipped them up in their sleeping bags because it's easier it doesn't get blood everywhere you know and you can drag you can drag it you can drag it right across Mm -hmm. and oh my gosh but yeah why why not leave them in the tent why mop up the blood? Are you trying to hide what are, Yeah, what are you doing? Like, who are you, you dumbass? Because you're putting all this effort into what? Right. Into what? Like, oh my gosh, I don't know. So it was noted that these murders had been planned as the gag used on Denise was pre-sewn and nylon rope was used to bind the girls along with duct tape. And there was a red flashlight also found near the victim. So, you know, was this the flashlight that one of the persons had been moving through the camp that night before, or the night that night of? Remember earlier uh, when I was 
talking about some of the timeline. Oh, when you that said first... that they saw a light going towards yep, towards the... Tyler. Correct. Okay. Which I would probably, I mean, probably more than likely. Yeah. Also, the killer or killers used both their left and right hand to kill, it was determined, and bound the girls using two different knots. So was there one more than one murderer? So when they were doing the autopsy, the medical examiner said they used their left hand and they used their right hand. Not that a person can't use both hands, well, but I mean, they there said are the dexterous people out there. So. There is, but then you know if you picked up something and you're using your right hand with it or your left hand with it, and you're just not I'm killing people. I'm not thinking about which True. hand I might be using. Uh, of course, you think you'd naturally go to the one hand that you're you dominant. Naturally, go dominant hand. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, that's how they can say, "Oh, a left-handed person did this," or a right-handed person did this, but because you're not the thinking, way, the and way you grab it and mm-hmm. you just use. Which I think I find it, I find it neat how they can tell that it was from this left, you're a left-handed person or a right-handed person. It's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. How the science, you know, yeah. behind and finding. But then the two different knots, you know, that they randomly, I mean, they just, I'm using this knot and they use that knot. It could, it could happen. But Even then. the Boy Scout. Don't they learn to. Maybe they were trying to get their sorry, next Boy Scout patch. Bad, bad that is a bad joke, Horrible. Don't, don't get mad at me, people. Oh my gosh, that was a terrible joke. So soon after it was learned that the rope and the tape had recently been stolen from a farmer one mile. Uh, from Camp Scott, though the farmer Jack Schroff has an alibi for the night in question and also passed a voluntary lie detector test. He was also ridiculed and harassed by the local media, printing his picture under the headline Slayer in an early article. And this would open up Pandora's box where it, it pit police against media against the community. As you may imagine, the locals would also be fractured by claims of racism, planted evidence, and mistrust. So a lot of finger pointing going on, and you can imagine when three girls get killed. Well, yeah, I mean, it's even a, today we oh, point yeah. the finger of blame at everyone, everything. everything. If we don't have answers to something, and and it's natural, I think it's human nature to do that. Like but, we, or or we make bad jokes, you know, when we don't have anything good to say. <laughs> like <laughs> it just it is what we it's what we it's like a coping mechanism. You gotta you gotta have answers. Mm-hmm. If you don't have answers, you're gonna point. You're gonna place blame. You're gonna start blaming well, too, whoever when, you can for whatever when you can. People's names get tarnished, like this guy Jack, this farmer who might have been a great guy, and he just told them, "Hey, I found these things were missing mm-hmm. that I know are mine." And then, of course, the media's headlining as Slayer. Yeah, and that's terrible just, on the media's part. Like you can't do that to people. You ruin people's lives when you don't have facts. They, you like, know, and people want they want these nice, big, you know, headlines. Mm-hmm. That they're looking for, <clears throat> make that money. But I want readers. Wait till you have facts. True. You can't just. Off, no. I mean, they do it, but you can't. You shouldn't be able to off the cuff just start making your own crap up. You can't do that. It's horrible. It is. So, leading on into the manhunt, you know, kind of talked you through what had happened, the findings of things, some of the timeline, how the girls were killed, and and then who was called in for this. So the manhunt begins as quickly, uh, begins it quickly points to a, a person, a Cherokee Indian named Jean Leroy Hart, who had been on the run for four years after escaping the Mays County Jail, and he was known to be in the Ozarks area. Hart was arrested and convicted of abducting 
two pregnant women in 1966 outside a nightclub, drove to a forest on the outskirts of Locust Grove, and raped them. Hold on, hold on. Pause for a second. Mm -hmm. You have a guy who escaped four years earlier from this place, and you know that he's in that area, but you haven't They can't him find up. him. They haven't been able to find him. And what makes you think that now that you're going to be able to then? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Four years, and you think now you're going to get well, them? Well, they're trying to find him, yeah. And then, of course, it's this happened outside, I uh, said, Locust Grove, which is right near where the campsite right. is. And, and I can see, so in that respect, I can see why mm -hmm. they would they would go that direction. But what makes you think you're going to find them now? Right. That's my question. Oh, but they'll finally do here. So the women were bound with duct tape and rope, so those two that he raped. So same kind of things that were being used. Um, uh, after the rapes and an apparent attempt at homicide, he closed off their noses and mouths with duct tape and left them to die in the woods. Sorry, sorry. Say, say that last sentence again because I'll have to re-edit that because when I was pointing, you turned and you looked at her and said, Woods, way over here. So, <laughs> sorry, that was my bad. The women were bound with duct tape and rope, and after the rapes and an apparent attempt at homicide, he closed off their noses and mouths with duct tape and left them to die in the woods. But luckily, the victim survived, and one described Hart as being incoherent during the rape and that he made strange growling noises. Remember that from earlier? Yeah. From the bull, she thought, uh, Will Hyde thought it was a bullfrog out there. Mm -hmm. Could have been, could have been him, right? Right. So he had also burglarized many houses and he was caught while on parole for the rapes. Um, that's how they caught him from, he was doing all these burglaries. So <clears throat> he, and he was paroled for two rapes. Like, how did he get paroled for two rapes? Well, that's kind of like the whole three month sentence that Sam Little got. Remember? Yeah. We talked like, what was this, the going rape? I or guess, rape? Uh, back in the 70s. Oh, what the hell? This is wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God, this makes me mad. Uh, I know I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing. Like, that yeah. really pisses me off. Yeah. Oh. So Hart managed to escape the jail by his cell window. It was said that many Cherokee were helping him and pulled the wool over their eyes into thinking he was innocent. Some thought that OSBI was planning evidence against Hart, and others believed they weren't, uh, that were part of the Cherokee community as well. So some, some of the Cherokee community were there to protect him, but though they kind of, you know, he pulled the wool over their eyes. Some were um, against him and believed he was, you know, the one that may have committed these murders. So did they not actually know? They, 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 they did not. They were, what do you mean, didn't know? So are, are you saying, when you say murders, are you talking about the little girls? Yes. Oh, okay, yes. my bad. I, I thought you were still talking about, oh, about the, the rapes. rapes that he had. Well, that before, too, but... that too. They thought he was just innocent. I, I, he was also a high school football star, um, pretty known um, for that. So they thought he was, you know, he was a great athlete, he was a good kid, um, but not so much. So, uh, sorry, I, I think I'm a little bit lost. So he he had these women that he had been arrested for raping and... He was well, taken... he, yeah, he was, and then he got on parole. Okay, he was paroled, which is what you say here. He was caught, mm -hmm. but while on parole, um, <clears throat> then he was burglarized in places, so they were able to catch him. And he had like 300 years of prison time, but while he was in jail, probably for the court and all that stuff, he broke out, he got out of jail. 
So that's when he escaped jail. Correct. And now he had been out for four years. And they, they couldn't find him. hadn't been able to find him. Correct. So The whole time. Okay. So during the investigation, it was discovered items were found in local caves. In the mountain overlooking Camp Scott, OSBI agent Arthur Linville found a cave with some unusual items. Red underwear, a picture of two women, which looked like a wedding photo, and newspaper were found along with a pair of glasses that bela- that belonged to a Camp Scott counselor. Oh, and they said someone was opening up their and getting things, tents stealing and stuff, stealing yeah. purses and stuff. Yep. Okay. A further link to the campsite murders was a part of that newspaper that was found in the cave was found in the flashlight that was found at the scene of the murders. So they had taken part of the newspaper and shoved it into the into flashlight? Into the flashlight to help, yes. Got it. Restore a loose connection, is oh, what they're saying. Weird. That weird. I mean, that... Okay, got it. So the pictures of the women were publicized nationwide, and this paid off. A prison officer recognized them from a part-time job as a wedding photographer. As part of a photography course in prison, Jean Leroy Hart had helped develop the photos. It has also transpired that the cave and Camp Scott were within walking distance of Hart's mother's home. If that doesn't kind of point you a little bit more into it. Right, so... Thinking that he had to have had something to do with this. Well, but then that still takes me right back to he's been out for four years and you guys obviously know where his mom lives and that he's in the area but you haven't been able to catch him mm-hmm. like come on right uh-uh. so two weeks after the murders a farmer reported that he had seen gene hart on a hillside on further investigation agent harvey pratt found this uh, this formation of four fires and cigarette butts uh, as a cherokee himself pratt recognized the formation the cedar wood used, and the fact that the cigarettes filters were torn out as an indication of a native Indian smoke ritual. The butts tested positive for the same O-type blood as Hart. A boot print was also found and, and matched the size of the bloody print in the tent, or tent eight, where the murders took place. And here we have, uh, there was, there's just, uh, things were kind of going awry here. For Gene Leroy Hart had a size 11 feet. And this was another indication of a second killer, they thought. Oh. So, hold on. So, at this campsite thing that they found, where they found the fires and the cigarette butts, they found the, this guy, heart, oh, blood type on mm-hmm. cigarette butts. Yeah. But then they also found boot prints. Yes. That don't match his. That don't match his. So, it could so be more than one. They were could thinking be it could be two. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's creepy. So, cave three. Three caves. Hmm. So... This cave was found around one mile from the camp on the land of Jack Schroff. A prisoner confided in the police about its existence, claiming he had met Hart there after the murders. Um, This prisoner was 16 years old at the same time and would later be convicted of killing his own three-year-old son. It does not appear that the OSBI pursued this information as a suspect in the Girl Scout murder. So, you know, was he with Hart when the murders took place? Could he have been the second person? Well, what size was his shoe? True. I mean, can yeah, you, yeah. like, is that out there? Did they look at that? Didn't see any of that. Didn't, they never, <clears throat> none of the articles talked about that. There was also a threatening message written in the uh, cave wall. The unusual date format is said to be used by both the military and the prison system. Which a lot of places use military 
what they say is military format, but whatever, it's your month day. It's, sure. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean anything in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so here I'm going to get into a little bit of the mystery of Denise Mil- Milner's shoes here um, through this part. Her shoes? Yeah. Have to, yeah, you'll, you'll get it here. Okay. So, since the campsite was large and needed to be controlled during the investigation, a security firm was hired to watch over the camp and to keep out inquisitive onlookers. Um, according to these security guards, there was evidence that someone was still stalking the camp, leaving footprints and fresh sand and leaving doors open that had previously been shut. Is it haunted? I don't know. Okay. They also spoke uh, of seeing silhouettes in the dense woodland on multiple occasions, and sometimes dogs were used to try to track whoever was out there. One time a dog returned to the tracker, shaken, and seemed to have been struck on the head. And the guards began leaving threads tied between trees to see which paths the intruder was using, and they would find these broken, confirming that it was not uh, just their imagination and the spooky remains of the camp. Oh, so yeah. someone really so, was yeah, walking kind of coming through there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, more notably is the story of Denise Milner's shoes. So now I'm gonna get to it here. So she was <clears> the <throat> victim. Yeah, Denise. She was the one that was found. The African American girl underneath the tree. Correct. That was not inside of her. Yes. Okay. Yes. So some of the guards had returned to the camp's great hall, which was acting as their office after searching for the intruder. When they found a bag had been left by the door. The bag contained pink socks and a pair of tennis shoes with the name Denise Milner written inside. Both socks and shoes were wet. Now Denise's mother is insistent that these items were hers and were not returned to her uh, with other items. But OSBI claims all items had been returned or they had stuff locked away. I'm... But the, the mom saying, no, these were these were hers. So. What? And not that we don't believe the mom or, or not OSBI, but you know it's kind of inconclusive here of of were they Denise's or was it somebody just well and okay so it was just found by a door like in a bag mm-hmm, next and... to their great lodge part of the camp so my I mean we already said that someone was going through and stealing things that night yeah. out of people's tents and stuff so who's to say that that they didn't also take that bag mm-hmm. with her shoes and socks in it for sure you know I that's just yeah it's a lot going on here yeah huh? it's pretty it's pretty wild mm. So the capture, um, after quite some time, Hart was eventually captured from eluding police. He was found living in a three-room shack, being hidden by a friend, Sam Pigeon, some 50 miles from Camp Scott. Um, Did Sam Pigeon get aiding and abetting? Probably. (laughs) Maybe. Agent Larry Bowles states that as he cuffed Hart, he asked, "Uh, you killed those little girls, didn't you? And Hart's reply was apparently, you'll never pin it on me. It was also noted that Hart was uh, wearing women's prescription glasses at the time of his arrest. Weren't there some prescription glasses stolen from Mm -hmm. the camp? And also from the girls, I think, that he had raped. I think, taking their stuff as well. Okay. So on trial, the capital murder trial of Gene Leroy Hart would send Oklahoma back to the gruesome day of which the murders happened. There was a media frenzy outside the courthouse. The trial would be held in the third floor courtroom in Pryor, Oklahoma, by Judge William Whistler. Leading the defense team was a Garvin Isaacs, a former Oklahoma uh, County public defender who was now working in a private practice, and he had been recommended by the Hart family. When he first met Hart, he recalls, I want you to know one thing. I didn't kill those Girl Scouts, said Isaacs. 
Those were the first words out of his mouth. I believe him when he said that. Apparently, a growing number of community members and supporters also believed Hart was not guilty uh, to raise money for Hart's defense. A community hog fry dinner was organized, and supporters wore T-shirts that read, Stop the Mays County Railroad, signifying the community's belief that Hart was being railroaded by police. And the Cherokee Tribal Council even donated $12,500 for the defense fund. 21 months after the murders, the trial finally began. Hang on. So, he had a lot of supporters saying that he did not do this. Yes. And, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get into it, so if you are, just let me know. But, um, did did they have evidence saying he did do this? Or were they just going off of his proximity and the fact that he had similar um, crime, committed similar crimes and all that, you know? I think, I think, yeah, I think proximity, um what other prisoners had said, um, not that you can believe them, right, but right. Um, from the past, things that he's done, so on and so forth, for sure. I mean, it's not, like, conclusive evidence. But they didn't have anything that said But a lot of things were, yeah, things were kind of pointing towards him, um, kind of leaning that way, but there was no, like, hard and fast. Mm-hmm. So now, as mentioned earlier, there were... There was glasses, a roll of tape that matched tape found at the crime scene, and some pictures linked to Hart, who once worked in a photo lab at the prison. In addition, biological evidence, including sperm and hair samples, were found on the girls. A footprint was also found in mud after the thunderstorm of the previous evening. So these are some of the things that they're kind of saying, hey, that they have found. Not saying that they were his, but they oh, have found. Oh, I was about to ask. I was, like, mm-hmm. I was about to, but they didn't have DNA back then. Right. Or testing. Yeah. Yep. So while I wonder if anyone's retested it. They yeah. Okay. 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 Sorry. 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 <laughs> so while DNA would not be introduced until the 1980s, and hair evidence had been uh, discredited as a forensic technique, police admitted the evidence they had found was not conclusive proof Hart had committed the crime. Also, there had been no fingerprints. It was found that the hair was inconclusive, the footprint did not match the size of Hart's foot, and the evidence found in the cave was not convincing beyond reasonable doubt. So on March 20th, 1979, the jurors announced a stunning verdict, not guilty. Unfortunately, in 2008, the sperm was analyzed using DNA techniques, but was too degraded for use. So they've never been able to find the true murderer. Um, Was it Hart? Did he have somebody with him? Was he had nothing to do with it? Um, who could have, who could have done it? Well, I mean, he was found not guilty, so they obviously did not have anything to say he did do this. So it makes me think, and I know we're not perfect people. I mean, we, if there's reasonable doubt, we're not supposed to convict somebody, but, um, without looking into it more or whatever, this, uh, it sounds like he might be innocent and they might just be assuming of this crime anyway. And so... Then you gotta wonder where did they go from here? Where like did they keep investigating? This is obviously not a closed yeah. case. No, it's not a closed case, and and uh, there's maybe some investigating going on, um, but I, I highly doubt it. There's really nothing too much going on uh, with it. And with that, I, I can see private investigators and, of course, family members, you know, that do their own investigations and hire their own folks, but nothing. I mean, they have tried to do things. As you can see, as late as 2008, which I know has been a while from now, but, I mean, that's a lot more recent than right. back when the murders had taken place. Absolutely. It's sad that the DNA was degraded. Like, is that sad? It does. Yeah, it's um, it's horrible. Like, that would have been huge. Yeah, right? because then you would have been able to say definitively that if 
if Hart did it or not. You close that. You know. Yeah, like really, truly close it, not just, well, he got, he probably he got away. He was a strong with, candidate. Yes, but you could, you could really rule him out. Um, and regardless to like if he did or didn't do it, I mean he was I would I kind of think he was around those areas. I mean he he was, but like the caves he might have been out in those caves. He was hiding for four years. Right. Yes. So he could have been there too, but just other you know. Drift, and he could have even been drifters the, and people. Well, he could have even been in the camp stealing from people's tents. Doesn't mean he killed these girls. No. You know I mean they're, they're, it doesn't but. Also, too, he did rape um, two women, and he's done that before, right. and was going to kill them, but, right. but it doesn't, didn't. Still doesn't mean that he did it that. It doesn't. It doesn't. So, I mean, I don't want to, you know, convict anyone on... It, on we, our podcast? Right, yes. Yeah, so that's <laughs> not cool. Like, I mean, I, I tend to think that if he went on trial, and, and if... He had done this, like they would have done a good job to make sure that the jury convicted him. Well, what's wild is some of the cases we have covered, right, and mm-hmm. some of the cases we will cover. Oh, they they would have it would have been him, or and it would have been yeah. and it would have been like the things that they have found. Other cases we'll cover are far less, oh, but yeah. they get convicted. So, you know, crime and punishment it's it's a injustice. It's a it's 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 pretty wild how things. I think that's why Lady Justice in front of the courthouse is is uh, blind. She's blindfolded. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's justice justice is, in, is... is in the hands of the people, and that's not always a good thing. Not always. It's, I mean, I'm glad it is set up the way it is, and I wouldn't change it. But it does like we we're people, we're humans, and we tend to do what we want to do. And sometimes lead our lead by emotions mm-hmm. and, and not the facts. Yep, which is a bad thing. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's all we've got for you on this one. So we want to thank you guys for listening. Like we we really hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Um, please feel free to check out our website at wickedness, true crime and the unknown.com or find us on anchor at anchor.fm slash wickedness. Also on Instagram at Wickedness True Crime. If you'd like to support us in our efforts to bring you more materials, feel free to support us through our anchor.fm slash wickedness site and click on support to help us out. Remember that we are releasing a new episode each week on Tuesdays, so make sure you're subscribed or following us so you can be notified when the new episode drops or if we release an up or you know an update or a bonus episode. We don't want you to miss anything, so we appreciate you listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>